message from the Democratic National Committee. You love us again. And we haven't felt this confident since the day before Trump won. <laughs> you love our fresh new ideas delivered by fresh new faces like me, Nancy Pelosi. And me, Diane Feinstein. And me, Chuck Schumer. <laughs> y yo soy Tim King. <laughs> and I'm team player Donna Brazil. And we also have some great new leaders waiting in the wings, like hot young thing Elizabeth Warren. And also, that's right. It's Biden time. <laughs> and I'm still around, too. And together, we're going to end the spirit of divisiveness in this country by focusing on how we won the governor's races in two of the ten states we care about. <laughs> Saturday Night Live, pretty good uh, wow. mocking of the National Democratic Party on Saturday night. And pretty... I'm Chuck Schumer. <laughs> with the, with the, and making them look particularly old and like not with it, Nancy Pelosi and <laughs> Diane Feinstein. But what is their average age in the leadership is like 80 or something like that? It's way up in the 70s. It's it's Rolling Stones-ish. And people are talking seriously about Joe Biden. Uh, uh, he's got a book out and... And and he was asked about it, and 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 sounded like he he did the hedging answer of someone who's at least considering it. He said, "If God came down today and said I could have the nomination, I'd say no." But now is not the time, and and you know he had some but but buts after right, that. Right? Seriously, what's he seventy four? He's he's perfect for this time of populism and talking to working class people. He's one yes, of the, true. He's one of the best ever at that. He's just about 20 years too old. I was going to say, yeah, he's perfect for this time if this time was 15 years 1988. Ago. Right. Or when, even better. When he ran and got like five votes. Right, right, because he's goofy. But yeah, well, <laughs> and if he were to run another octogenarian, that would be something. Wow. Oh, and Nancy is not going to let up power. She's not going to let go power. Anything short of the grave. He is 74 years old. Yeah, and so yeah, and so he'd be dang near 77 eighty seven running for his first term. That sounds perfect. Yeah. <coughs> um, Ooh, Uncle Joe. Uh, GQ magazine is out with its Citizens of the Year, which I didn't even know they did. But Colin Kaepernick is on the cover of Citizen of the Year. General, Gentlemen's Quarterly. <laughs> um, yeah, good for him. He feels like he's probably happier. With the the role he's playing now than than he ever has been with sports, as he's a you know uh, society conscious guy, he feels like he's doing the right thing. I think he'd probably like to play a little football. Yeah, he's just he. It would be a train wreck wherever he goes to work is going to be a giant press orgy, national press orgy, and it's a shame. But no football team wants that. Good guest coming up. One of the writers in the New York Times piece, uh, how the NSA has been shaken to its core by how it got infiltrated by hackers, and, uh, well, really, the nation should be shaken to its core as some of our best secrets got out, and there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. Um, I just ate some bacon that Marshall bought with his lottery winnings. His compulsive gambling leads to us getting to eat. When he wins, he buys his food. It's very nice of him. His win is our meat. But that reminds me, last night at the dinner table, my wife brought up the idea of getting some pigs. Out there on the farm. Oh, my. And uh, oh my. I have so wanted to have a hog because I love pork so much. There's some sort of tiny little hog that's like popular right now. Miniature animals are really a big thing. On, the bigger like, the better. That's what I say. On, uh, on pretend farms like I'm on. Give me an 1,100 pound state fair hog. That's what I want. I want hams the size of, I don't know, 
small children. <laughs> See if I can find this sheep that she was telling me about the other day. I want foot long, you know, like two foot long bacon. I want to have to go to a store and, and have them custom make me a giant pan because the bacon is so big. Speaking of miniature animals, this is the hot new thing. South Down sh- Baby Doll Sheep. That's the name of the sheep. Oh, boy. And it's like sweeping the uh, the, the nation as a thing. Look look how ridiculously over-the-top cute those things are bred to be. It's like a kitten sheep. Yeah, look at that. Wow. It's, it's, it's like a stuffed animal for your baby. That's adorable. You know what you, exactly. He is like a little baby. That's, and that's the name, right, sir. And the name makes you throw up in your mouth a little. South Down Baby Doll Sheep. Yeah, no kidding. God dang it. So here's what you got to do, and seriously, you'd get crazy rich, and you wouldn't have to show up to do this crap every day. You get yourself some of those miniature sheep, some of those little pigs you're talking about, a handful of miniature horses, some of those little Irish cattle, and you set up a whole mini farm, and then sell uh, sell tickets to families to come through. Ten bucks a head for the kids, 15 bucks for mom and dad. They get to walk around and look at the miniature beasts. I'm telling you, you'd be a zillionaire. <laughs> yeah, if I didn't hate people, it'd be fantastic. You'd have to get um, yourself some handicap-accessible uh, handicap bathrooms. But. but she brings up the idea of having some pigs, and then how we could, and then we could uh, get bacon and you know all that sort of stuff. And both of my sons were horrified when wow. she brought up the idea of turning them into food. Mm. In fact, Sam had to leave the table. Oh, my. He couldn't finish his dinner. Oh, no. Thinking about the idea of killing these little pigs. Just out of curiosity, what were you eating? What were we eating last night? Pork sausages, I think. (laughs) So, the murder was right in front of him. We had been eating a lot of uh, salami throughout the day, which, of course, is pig. This pig, the salami we were eating was pig. But yeah, and I just thought I didn't know. I don't feel know if I've failed at this point or what, because like my dad grew up in a you'd see the animal slaughtered in front of you lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but I was like very aware from the youngest age. I was perfectly okay with chopping up beasts. And now, next generation, my kids have to leave the table at the thought of it. Wow, it's interesting, and and I know that that is more and more the direction we're going. We are more and more separated from our. From our food source of the reality, the reality of it, and y'all there at uh, Rube Holler are a lot closer to That's that true. than most people are. It's not like you live, you know, hundred and third story some high That's rise. You're on a ranch. And I was thinking about this uh, friend of mine who grew up in Nebraska. Their second grade field trip is they walked down to the butcher shop where they had a live cow in there. <laughs> they killed it in front of the children <laughs> and butchered it up to show them where meat came from, which actually makes. Perfectly good sense. Makes perfectly of good course, sense. Of course. Be like going to the plant to see where they make cars, or going to a construction site to see them build houses. Now we're going to see where our food comes from because we're all eating meat. You're going to uh, take them to watch a prisoner be executed next there at Reality High? Now, see, that huh? would be ridiculous. Huh? Barbaric! But that, that is not a crazy idea for people to understand where food came from. I don't have this. I don't have time to get into this fully because we have a guest coming up and we need to go to break. In fact, Michael, if you'd like to go to break now, I'm the master of brevity. That's what they call me. Keep talking. You're running out of time. So uh, <laughs> quit talking about how brief you are and spit it out, idiot. One of the premises of Dave Grossman's book on killing, which I've mentioned already this morning, is that it, we're in a Victorian era of killing. We pretend it's not happening. We're not a- aware of it. We pretend that meat just comes to us on a plate. At the same time, you know, there's an orgy of killing. 
And, and, and we can't come to terms with it because we're not being honest with each other about it. The nature of killing in war, out, sort of, uh, outside of war, etc. Really interesting. Okay, I'm going to slaughter a goat in front of the kids today then. Good man. You're going to watch. It's good for them. Uh, yeah, our uh, NSA got hacked. It's a bad story from the New York Times. we got one of the authors coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Nate, don't do it. Times in an article about the NSA, the agency regarded as the world's leader in breaking into adversaries' computer networks failed to protect its own. Shocking stuff indeed. Yeah, the headline, NSA struggles to recover after huge breach of spying tools. Pretty troubling to read. I would say, and one of the authors of the piece, Scott Shane, who's a reporter in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times, uh, joins us now. Scott, welcome. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, well, lay out the story for us, and I got some questions for you. So the uh, basically, this is something that started in August of 2016, so 15 months ago, but hasn't really gotten the broad public attention that it deserves. Partly because it's sort of technical, and partly because the government, I think, has has not wanted to say much about it or, or, or to have it draw much attention. But basically, it's it's a, a catastrophe for the National Security Agency, which traditionally is associated with code breaking and eavesdropping, but in more recent years, for obvious reasons, has gotten into hacking into foreign computer networks to gather intelligence in that way. And what happened in August 2016 is that a a still unidentified mysterious group calling itself the Shadow Brokers popped up on the Internet and said, we have a whole lot of NSA's hacking tools. This is the the malware and and so on that NSA hackers use to hack into foreign systems. We've we've acquired these tools and we're going to auction them off. The auction didn't really go anywhere, and uh, but they so they began to actually put out these hacking tools online, and this is uh, kind of played out over more than a year now, and the hacking tools were picked up by criminal and possibly government hackers in several instances. And people might remember back in May, there was a big uh, kind of epidemic of what they call ransomware, which is when your computer suddenly stops working and there's a message on your screen that says, you have to pay ransom, you have to make a payment, or we will destroy all your files and you'll never be able to use your computer again. And that ransomware attack and a whole lot more attacks since late last year have been carried out by uh, assorted hackers using these NSA tools. And they've attacked American companies, um, hospitals in multiple countries. Uh, You know, FedEx spent $300 million um, fixing services uh, that it was providing in Europe after they were attacked. And all these attacks occurred with these National Security Agency hacking tools, which you, the American taxpayer, paid a lot of money to create. So, I mean, when you kind of get your head around it, basically American taxpayers paid millions and millions of dollars for NSA to develop these hacking tools, which are now out in the wild being used by hackers to attack 
the U.S. That's to pretty annoying. Other countries. Yeah, yeah I, I would say so. Well, listen, uh, Scott, to observe the obvious, the fact that our allegedly greatest, smartest, most advanced hackers would uh, in turn be hacked is just incredibly disappointing. Did you get the idea it's because they're up against forces so clever and insidious there was no stopping them? Or does it smell more like, uh, you know, a failure? Or, 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 well, you know, I mean, it's it's certainly a failure. Uh, I mean, you know how how um, justified it it might be. Uh, I think is an open question. One of the interesting things here is that the National Security Agency was created in 1952, and it went for decades with almost no, there's a couple of exceptions, but basically being uh, almost entirely leak proof. Um, you know, the, the, jo- the old joke is that NSA stands for no such agency or never say anything. And, you know, those, those rules, you know, pretty much held for a long, long time. That changed with Edward Snowden, who flew off to Hong Kong in 2013 with hundreds of thousands of secret NSA documents, which he gave to journalists. And since then, there have been the arrests uh, that we know of, of three people who were working inside NSA, either as an employer or a contractor, for taking stuff out of the agency without permission. In, you know, in, in one case, a guy named Hal Martin, who had done it for years, it turned out, and just wasn't caught, and he'd stuffed documents and hard drives and things into his home office, his, his car, and even his, the shed in his garden. And uh, so... And then on top of all that, you have this shadow brokers attack, which we still don't understand whether it's a foreign power, probably Russia, breaking into NSA. Could be a fat guy, 400-pound guy sitting on his bed, remember. Huh. It, could, it, could, <laughs> it could be that old 400-pound that old guy. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, one of the, some of the theories are that it was an insider who uh, you know, took the stuff out and gave it to the Russians. So some combination of the two. Well, wow. Uh, that, but we don't know. That's so the problem. Can we, is it just impossible to get better at screening possible employees so we don't have that sort of thing happen, whether it's Edward Snowden or, or that possibility? Well, I think the problem is one of scale. Uh, you know, NSA has, I don't know what the exact number is, but somewhere around 40,000 employees. And, you know, many have been hired in relatively recent years to do exactly this kind of work. They're young people who are tech-savvy who are being hired. And, you and know, we live thousands, in a... thousands, as you point out. Yeah, thousands and thousands. So, so at, the, at the big NSA headquarters at Fort Meade in Maryland, and at other, you know, they have a bunch of big facilities scattered around the country. So thousands of people go in and out every day, and they have struggled with, you know, do you do an airline-style security check? And that's almost impossible with thousands of people. So... As everybody, as listeners know, you can you can put a library worth of data on a thumb drive these days, put it in your pocket, and walk out. And there are there are lots of procedures they've put in in place to try to prevent that. But most of the people that we talk to who work there say you still you cannot seal up an agency like that. You know, it's interesting. Scott Shane's a reporter at the Washington Bureau of the New York Times reporting on this enormous uh, breach of the NSA. But uh, you picture, you know, the classic flat top haircut, suit wearing, loyal American NSA agent of the past. 
mm-hmm. and 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 their kind of their their moral structure and the way they see the world, as opposed to a bunch of twenty something computer hackers, it's difficult. I, it, just because we know certain kinds of people are drawn to certain kinds of work, I, it's just difficult to have thousands and thousands of that sort of guy. In charge of national security. And a lot of them are anti-institutions of all well, kinds. Well, well, right, yeah. There are yeah, a lot of, uh, I mean, I, th- I think you actually put your finger on something really significant about the history of this agency. When they were created in 52, obviously they were um, picking up a lot of people who'd done this kind of code-breaking, eavesdropping work during World War II. And so uh, that was, you know, guys coming out of the military and so on. Now, in recent years, NSA has done a lot of recruiting uh, at hacker conferences. And sometimes you have these um, admirals and generals who, uh, you know, actually are at the very top of NSA dressing in jeans and T-shirts and going to hackers conferences and saying, hey, come work for Uncle Sam. And, you know, it's been it's been pretty effective because they have – they have a lot to offer in terms of, um, uh, you know, obviously an important mission, but also being able to carry out hacking without the worry that the FBI is going to knock on your door. Um, so there's a lot of appeal there. But, you know, as everybody knows, people in their 20s, their early 30s, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of libertarian thinking. There's a lot of feeling um, Sort of that. Um, my decision is my my view of things is maybe just as important as as uh, the institution's view of things, and maybe more important. And you know, it's not going to be a large number of people, but out of forty thousand people, you don't need a large number to create uh, a lot of leaks. How good are we at this stuff? This is something I've been struggling with for for years, trying to figure this out. Because you know, we're far and away the best dead at nuclear bombs and and super cool planes and aircraft carriers and all this different stuff. But are we just kind of one of many when it comes to the cyber stuff? Well, I guess, you know, from from what I know, um, I think NSA is very, very good at this. The CIA does some of this, too, and CIA has actually been hit by a, a major leak of hacking tools as well, maybe not con- coincidentally. But uh, I think they are they're considered to be extremely good, probably the best in the world. They have managed to put what they call software implants, malware implants, in targeted computer networks around the world which not only gather intelligence but could be used to shut down computer networks if there was a conflict, for example. So they're, they're said to be very, very good. The only thing, the only kind of caveat is that this is a, this is a game anyone can play. I mean, the 400-pound guy sitting on his bed, that's not uh, totally wrong. Um, you know, you can be a very, very good hacker sitting in your parents' basement and, and uh, you know, really be pretty good at this. So just as the Internet has sort of leveled the playing field uh, so that you have the President of the United States saying something and then, say, Osama bin Laden saying something when he was around and reaching a global audience, in this case, you know, North Korea is very good at hacking. North Korea barely has an economy, but they are very good at hacking. So, you know, this is this is sort of a, an equalizing technology, even though the U.S. I think is probably better at it than than other countries. Scott Shane writes for the New York Times. He's based out of Washington D.C. Scott, really enjoyed the chat. Interesting stuff. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. Current and former agents of the NSA telling the New York Times that morale is very low.
The NSA is denying that, Jack. Morale's better than ever here at the NSA. Yeah, that's tough. You know, that's the history of warfare, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hating to see it happen with the United States because we've been the world's leader for so long now. But the history of warfare, something new comes along. The Brits ruled the seas on the planet for hundreds of years with big giant ships with cannons, and then somebody on the east coast of the United States came up with the idea of putting steel sheets on the side of boats, and that was the end of the Brits' run. It was over. Mm. As soon as somebody came up with that idea, and ironclads were going to rule the seas from then on. It's just, it's just that's the way it happens. You can you can rule with a longbow until somebody develops a longer longbow or a shield that will stop that arrow from going through. Then all of a sudden, you're not the dominant force anymore. And 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 if the new wave is going to be the cyber stuff, we just might be, you know, there might be a lot of parody. Yeah, well, it's it's really it's such a paradigm shift, and I hate to use that term, but this is actually one. Where you could have one, or certainly three, four, five really, really talented 23-year-olds. And suddenly North Korea is toe-to-toe with the U.S. Yeah. Or France or Zimbabwe. Which or... was unthinkable. Well, still is unthinkable when it comes to aircraft carriers or anything else. Oh, sure. Right. But yeah, that's it's a paradigm shift. It's amazing. Now, granted, if we all take out our uh, each other's computer networks... And all of our electric grids and the rest of it, and the world is black. Well, then it'll be back to guns and bombs. Good and to we'll, have those, yeah. We'll probably figure out a way to use them, even without the communications that we're, we're used to. But, uh, yeah, it's a hell of a deal. There is that whole thing. with my, my sense is, I don't actually know this, but my sense from TV and interviews and all that different sort of stuff is, a lot of your hacker types, they don't, they don't have loyalty to... Really anything. Right, right. <laughs> well, I like the contrast of the crew-cutted guys who dedicated their youth to defeating uh, the Nazis uh, versus uh, some hacker dude who's dedicated his youth to getting the new Star Wars movie uh, pirate version before it comes out. I mean, he's not about the red, white, and blue. Yeah, and you could he could, he he could get as much of a thrill of hacking into the NSA as working for the NSA and hacking into somebody else. He just likes hacking. Well, especially if you have the hubris of youth. I mean, this is bull-ass, dude. This NSA gig sucks. You know what we ought to do? Well, and how I mean, much, you can easily picture that. Well, just try to remember being, uh, you know, 19. How much enjoyment would you get as a 19-year-old to be able to hack into the grown-ups, you know, best defenses at the NSA and show them how stupid they are? And how tell much, all your friends. Yeah, yeah. How much enjoyment would you get out of that? And hopefully pull some chicks. If yeah. that would get me chicks, I'd spend all night. Yeah, you got hot and cold running dark net porn. Nobody, you've, you've never even seen this stuff. Stuff they have in the dark net. I don't want to see it. The regular <laughs> stuff is fine. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, a top Republican leader drops support now for embattled Senate candidate Roy Moore. Oh, no. We got a Rand Paul post-attack. <laughs> Joe horrified. Oh, God, no. Poor old fella. We have a Rand Paul post-attack update yes! for you. Yes. And the first proclaimed nation in space is now orbiting our Earth. Whoa, wait a What? Huh? Stories coming up minutes Good thing or bad thing. Good thing or bad thing. <laughs> we still have a $20 bill in escrow over the Rand Paul yes. thing. That is correct. Was it a lawn dispute? Uh, a ULD, an upscale lawn dispute? Stay or tuned. was it uh, uh, romantic? Jack's theory. Stay tuned for the details coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey there. 
That story was a little disturbing about how uh, the NSA uh, had their best tools hacked and everybody's demoralized and wonder if they even have any value for the country. That was a little, that was a little, little demoralizing. Myself. Yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> Getting a lot of tweets, a lot of emails wondering, uh, will I be talking about it uh, on my Chicago area show, Hackers and Sausages? <laughs> uh, and yeah, it'll absolutely be on Saturday's podcast. The NSA hack and bratwurst. Now the news with Marshall. You want some sausage? I always want sausage. The Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he believes the women who have accused Roy Moore of inappropriate sexual contact when they were teens. And he says the Republican uh, Alabama Senate candidate should now step aside. Wow, did he get new information or what happened This is all we've got so far, but he is saying now is the time to step aside more for his part. And Luther gets some strange can't run now because he lost and they got a weird law there. If you lose the primary, they can't put you on the ballot. It's the sour grape statute. Yeah. Sore loser law something or like that. something like the that. No yeah. takes his back sees act of uh, 1776. <laughs> no no redos. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I See, I don't know this, but I get the sense, because, you know, all the Republican heavyweights yeah. or Democrat heavyweights, they, yeah, all these people are tied together. They know each other. And I'm thinking the heavyweights in D.C., they're getting word from the heavyweights in the, in the in the state that yeah it's true. I mean this guy. There's all kinds of problems. There's probably more women going to come out. We got to ditch the dude. Right. I think that's why Mitch McConnell and Sean Hannity are so quick yeah. to go that direction. Rand Paul is returning to the Senate today after that attack by a neighbor that left the senator with six broken ribs. Wow. Okay, he's doing better then. That's yep. good. This morning, the Kentucky Republican took to Twitter to thank supporters for their thoughts and prayers for his recovery. Paul adding. While I'm still in a good deal of pain, I'm going to be returning to work in the Senate today, ready to fight for liberty and help move forward tax cuts. Hoorah! Now, Paul's accused attacker, uh, Rene Boucher, appeared in court last Thursday. He pleaded not guilty to misdemeanor assault. Attacker's motive still clouded in mystery. Yeah, and doesn't Rand Paul's um, uh, detachment, like his ribs, his detachment from this seems strange to you? Mm, maybe. Or maybe he's just being cool because the cops told him, listen, don't talk about it. We're going to put together the prosecution. I don't know. I don't know. Seems strange to me. It just it goes to show we need extreme, extreme vetting of Frenchmen coming into the United States. <laughs> you let a Frenchman in, all of a sudden you got a senator with, with broken ribs. The first self-proclaimed nation in space has been established in orbit now around the Earth. The first step in what some hope was going to become the basis for a human colony beyond our planet. The space kingdom of Asgardia is hardly the grandiose mixture of advanced technology found in a lot of sci-fi and fantasy films. Rather, it's a toaster-sized satellite filled with data uploaded by some of its 113,000 registered citizens. Thousands of people signing up to become Asgardian nationals carries very few rights other than the privilege of uploading their information to the CubeSat, which is now in orbit around the Earth. I have no idea what you're saying. I'm I was, trying to follow uh, You know this. what? I was. I had the same reaction. I, I don't understand. I heard toaster-sized, then I was out. Toaster-sized. So some group has put an, uh, uh, a satellite up and is yes. claiming they're the first nation in space? Yes. With 113,000 okay. nationals who have supplied data to be fed into this toaster-sized satellite. Super. Thousands of people signing up to become the Asgardian Nationals. Again, the leaders of the Asgardia Project believe the satellite's going to be the first in a series of small projects 
that will eventually lead to a sprawling human space colony. Sure. So, I mean, if you want to sign up, you can sign up. And that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. I think it's pretty interesting that Mitch McConnell has come out and said Roy's got to go. You know, yeah, I, I'm trying to anticipate the objections, though. If you're a huge Trump fan, you think, right, because he's a threat to the establishment. And McConnell doesn't want the threat. Roy Moore is with Trump. He's an outsider, blah, blah, blah. But Sean Hannity, who's like the biggest Trump hump around, yeah, uh, gave it to him hard, gave it to Roy Moore hard, asked him the tough questions, and, and, and got I, wormy answers. And I think Mitch McConnell would put up with all kinds of uh, malfeasance to continue to be the majority leader. And that right. hangs in the balance. Yeah, it's not a small thing disavowing your party's candidate for Senate when the Senate is, you know, so closely balanced. Yeah. I wonder what news he got, what info he got. Or they thought they got to jump on their new plan, which maybe we'll hear about this morning, a write-in campaign or something like that. Which they almost have to do, right? They have no choice. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you updated. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. There must be some new revelation that caused Mitch McConnell to say Roy Moore's got to go. Breaking news. Oh, my. Breaking news. This must be what Mitch McConnell heard about. Breaking news. (laughs) A new accuser is stepping forward, claiming Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore sexually assaulted her when she was a minor. Attorney Gloria Allred is holding a press conference in New York City this afternoon with the woman. That's breaking vomit. That's and not breaking. Oh, I guess it's it is breaking news. And it, well, I think it's breaking news tied in with the Mitch McConnell announcement. So that's what it is. So another woman's coming forward that is <clears> going to stand in front of a microphone and uh, cameras and answer questions with Gloria Allred. Do we know what she's going to claim? No. Well, that uh, he accuser s- sexually assaulted her when she was a minor. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. So that'd be five women claiming that. <laughs> wow. And so and Mitch McConnell says you're done. So that's the end of that. Wow. As we said earlier, I mean, his his answers to Sean Hannity, I mean, come on. I, you know, it does, doesn't sound like something I would do. I don't recall. But, so you uh, can unequivocally deny that you have ever done that. Well, that would be out of character. The mom said it was okay. Yeah, if, if I did, I asked parents' permission first. <laughs> right. What? What? <laughs> so we'll touch on that again next hour. Plus, we have a nomination to join the Pantheon. Of Armstrong and Getty clips of odd people speaking to bears. Hmm. Odd people trying to reason with bears. A nomination. There's a rigorous screening process, but we'll get to that next hour as well. <clears throat> so we got this note from Alan. I found Alan very or Alan? Alan. 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 He's a feller. And he talks about you uh, you being unhappy with the fact that anti-Trump rhetoric makes into into every book review, recipe, interview, oh, yeah. restaurant critique, whatever, on the East Coast, the East Coast media, just everything. You cannot read. It's in the comics. It's just everywhere. The word search has Trump is an idiot in there. <laughs> 
diagonally and, and backwards. I hate those. And how the Trump thing is indicative of a larger movement that's really not related to R's or D's or hunkering down. And certainly there's plenty of criticism that can go at the POTUS. But he points out that the for now the elites are so fixated with our president making him look bad that they're not able to connect the forces that led Mr. Trump's election to other events that could be positive in the long run. Do we still have that clip, Mr. Trump? That's a good clip. We got to have that. Um, but he says, here's what I'm getting at. And let's talk about this in terms of correlation, not causation. Is it not possible? Is it not possible that the dissatisfaction that led to the roll a hand grenade into the halls of Congress, we're done with a status quo approach that was Trump, is related to the ability of, for instance, women to stand up to people like Weinstein and Louis C.K.? Okay, contemplate that for a second, but wait, there's more. Could it be that these same forces have introduced progressives to the small group of sad, impotent, actual Nazis and white supremacists? Why is it possible now that the First Amendment can be upheld by punishing a pro-abortion professor responsible for trampling on the rights of students? Anti-fascists get exposed as actual fascists. Fake news and media ideologues get outed. The role of the Russians in causing U.S. social and political turmoil is uncovered. The rottenness of our political parties is spotlighted. The negative impact of social media on kids is divulged. Is it possible that people who have never seen a gun might start to think about mass murders in terms of crazed individuals and not, quote, access to firearms? Um, There is one more. His point is that, and he says, I'm no fan of Trumpler, but was in favor. I hadn't heard that one. Oh, God. Uh, Mr. Trump. Oh, man. My, my Trump. My Trump. My lovely POTUS Trump. Um, but I was I was in favor of giving a two-finger salute to things as they were. Yep. Um, I agree with Jack. It's much more interesting to look at things that might end up being good for our country and which are being spurred by the same thirst for something different. Our ability to blow up the swamp is directly related to our ability to expose rapey wood. But the elites will continue to miss out on the connection because of their fixation on Donald J. and their inability to understand the positive changes can come along with things they personally detest. Yeah, detest. Thanks for being that. the voice of the West, which I take to mean Western civilization. You already have a hemispherical show. Thank you very much, Alan. <laughs> so, and and listen, I wanna I wanna summarize this in my own mind because I find it such an intriguing premise. <sighs> It, it's different than the tear down the establishment man feeling of, say, the 60s or whatever. But is there a common thread? I'm not shutting up anymore. That's wrong. Or just things don't have to be the way they've always been. I don't know. Uh, or I'm, you know, the, I, I know you got a suit and you're a zillionaire and you're on TV anymore uh, all the time. I don't care anymore. Calling people on everything. Let's start calling people on their S. Is that it? Or could it be just as base and maybe unproductive as wanting to tear down rich and powerful people? I don't know. I don't Which think so. Can be a I good don't thing think sometimes. so. I, don't, I don't think so. No. No. Especially, you know, some of the Pervo stuff or the women mm. getting harassed in Sacramento, for instance, in the state capitol. Systematic, merciless harassment, groping, etc. through the years with a system that's designed to punish the accusers. I mean, but that's... That person's not saying Trump has caused good things to happen. It's just no. part of the movement that made him president. Well, and listen, what he's describing 
is kind of the animating force of the show and always has been. And I'm going to call Trump on his ass, too, in the spirit of all this stuff. You know, I don't. And again, Alan pointed out, I'm not talking causation exactly. It's probably more correlation. But there's something in the air. And if you get past your hatred of Trump and try to understand what the Mr. Thrump, what Mr. Thrump, if you got past your hatred of Mr. Thrump and tried to understand what the it is in the air, you might have a better handle on what's happening. I I find that an intriguing question. This whole ride is far from over. I saw a a political analyst breaking down that there are a bunch of precincts around uh, Philadelphia, for instance, that went Democrat last week for the first time in 100 years. That had gone Republican before. Wow. So there, there could be a major swing the other direction at some point, and, and with everybody just kind of flailing wildly. And and how will the corrupt 80-year-olds who run the Democrat Party capitalize on this? They got serious problems in their camp, too. I think they're on their way out. Yep. Uh, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.